the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So my question for you today is, are, are you living with a clear conscience? Uh, my prayer, and, and sometimes this means me praying as I go to sleep, but my prayer every night is that my head can hit that pillow and sleep in peace because I have a clear and clean, close conscience. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. When you walk into the room, does it calm things down or stir things up? Are you known as a peacemaker? Well, I want you to understand it's the desire of our almighty God that every Christ follower would live a clean life. And so my question is simple this. Are you living clean today? You, uh, you wouldn't have come to church, I don't think, this morning without having recently taken a, a shower or a bath. But, but some of us need a cleansing in the Word of God today. In just a moment, I'm going to come to a time of, of commitment in this service. And for some of you, it's simply this. It's God, goodness, I, I need your forgiveness to wash over me again. I, I need you to create in me a clean heart. But the second thing is this. It's God's desire that every Christ follower stay close to him. I want to be clean, but I also want to be close. God's word says when we draw near to God, what does he do? He draws near to us. But Peter understood what it was like to follow at a guilty distance. And some of you are there and... and, Well, I really feel the spirit of God this morning. And and so I I have a gentle spirit. So I hope you hear this. Um, Some of you are Christ followers. But some of this unclean stuff that we've walked through in your life. Is causing you to walk at a guilty distance. And so you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. And the people around you aren't seeing the testimony of God's grace. Remember Peter's theme. He's saying, I want you to live a clear-minded and hopeful life even in the midst of trials. And so he continues that in verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threat. So he's saying, hey, number one, some of you are complaining because you're suffering as a result of your own choices. And kind of, he's kind of saying, What? What did you expect? But now some of you are complaining, he says, because you're suffering because of persecution. Remember, he's writing this in a time where there is great persecution, where they would know what it's like to lose their life for their faith. We think it's persecution if we have to park at a faraway parking spot. 
Let me tell you, we think it's persecution if, if the government says we can't pray in school. I tell you, I don't like that rule, but that's not persecution. Persecution is, is what I remember through this little bracelet. They're brothers and sisters in the faith that literally today will lose their life because they stood up and said, no, I will not reject Jesus as my Lord. That's persecution. And, and he's saying in the midst of that persecution, oh, you should still, still don't complain. Because think of, think of what that means to God. And, and so he continues and he says, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak up against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. You know what he's saying? Fear God more than you fear the problems of life. You see, here's the reality that some of us haven't understood. The fear of God conquers all other fears. That's why Jesus would say, as if he's dumbfounded, why do you worry? Let the problems of life draw you close to God. And so hear this again, his phrase, hear it with exclamation, worship Christ as the Lord of your life. That's what it means to draw close to God. To just each day, wake up, God, I I worship you as the Lord. What does the Lord mean? Well, we don't use that a lot in phrase except in church today, but it does mean boss. It means the CEO. It means the one who's in charge, the numero uno. He's the one that has all the power. He's saying, live your life holy, W-H-O-L-Y. Or is there an E in there? Or live your life holy, H-O-L-Y, holy and holy, abandoned to the Lord. Why is this so important? Well, he tells us why it's important. Because it affects our ability to give a defense of the gospel. If I'm close to God, I'm ready to give a defense of my faith. See, it's how we live is giving a gospel picture to the world we live in. That was something that all of us need to hear, so I'm going to repeat it. How I live is illustrating to the world. It's giving a picture of the gospel. I guess we need to evaluate what kind of picture that we're sending He's saying Christ's followers give a reasonable picture, a reasonable illustration of the gospel, especially in difficult situations. Not except in difficult situations, but especially in the trials. Draw close to God, worship Christ as Lord, because it's in those moments when the spotlight is on you most. It's in those moments when your neighbors, when your coworkers, when your friends, when your family, they're looking at you to see how are they going to handle this one with their God. Well, there's a lot of false pictures we're giving. Somebody sent me this picture yesterday. They were at the Elite Eight in Kansas City. The basketball tournament. You see that picture? Protesters representing what they're professing is the ways of God. Can you just hear me say something? That's not a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called us to be witnesses of the gospel, not to be prosecuting attorneys. 
Being an apologist does not begin in a classroom or a deep study, but it begins with a close and clean life. It does not begin with asking questions. It begins with living your life in such a way that it raises questions in your little corner of the world. And they say, tell me more about this Jesus that has changed you. It's okay to say right is right and wrong is wrong. But what you need to do first and foremost is live your life in such a way that people see the power of the gospel in you. And when we draw close to him, we turn everything over to him. We sanctify him as Lord. That's what that passage means. And so my question, I ask you if you're clean today, are you close? Because in a moment, I'm going to give a time of commitment. And, and some of you, I, I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm not the prosecuting attorney either. Um, but, but some of you are following at a guilty distance. And matter of fact, that's, that makes it hard for you in moments like these. Because the Spirit of God begins to work and, and you're at that crossroads. You, you either yield to His Spirit or you, or you harden your heart. Which leads me to this last point. See, it's God's desire that every Christ follower live with a clear conscience. It really is. So he wants us to be close, clean, and clear. Look at verse 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. So uh, obviously, even if folks who were standing on the street, even if their signs spoke truth, which most of the ones I saw did not, they were clearly not doing it in a respectful and a gentle way, right? So keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Conscience means to know with. Remember con in the Latin with. The other part of that word means to know. So conscience, your conscience is like a window into your soul that the light of truth of God can shine through. Here's what I've learned. Remember how I said some of us need to take a bath? Remember how I said some of us are walking at a guilty distance? Some of us have dirty windows. And so when I don't have a clean conscience, when the window becomes dirty... God's truth is not able to shine through and with his light in the right way. It just doesn't, doesn't work. And so what happens is some of us harden our conscience. And how do we do that? We say no to God. So God's saying to you, hey, you need to clean up a little bit. Or, hey, you need to get close to me. Um, and we say no. We walk out of here and say, no, not today. Our conscience gets a little harder. The window gets a little dirtier. And, and we're not crying out for help. Did you know that the Bible records that we can let our conscience get so hard that we've hardened our heart and we're not respective, receptive to the things of God? So my question for you today is, are, are you living with a clear conscience? Uh, my prayer, and, and sometimes this means me praying as I go to sleep, but my prayer Every night is that my head can hit that pillow and sleep in peace because I have a clear and clean, close conscience. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. 
Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. How do we do this? It's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? How do I stay clean and close and clear? Remember how we started? It's the power of the gospel. It really is. It's not in you. That's the good news, though. You don't have to do this in your own strength. Look at verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Now that is the message of the gospel. When you hear that phrase gospel, it's not about a style of music. It's about this message. Here's what it is. Christ died for our sin. Say this. Say Christ died for my sin. It's a doctrine that we call propitiation. Our sin angers God so much he has to pour out his wrath and his wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. He died not as a punishment of the Jews or not as the punishment of the Romans. He died to take on the punishment of God for you and for me. Christ died for our sin, but then Christ died in place of us. He, he died for our sin. He died so that we don't have to die. That's a doctrine too. You know what that's called? It's the substitutionary atonement. Jesus died so that you could be one with God. He he was on that cross in your place and and my place so that we can be one with God. And here's some more good news. It's the gospel that he died for all. It's God's desire that all in this world know him. That's why it's not okay once we become a Christ follower just to go to church or put a fish on our car or to study in a study one day a week. It's God's desire that we do everything in our ability to make it hard to go to hell from where we live. Because the son of God gave his all for all. Now, why did he do it? Don't miss this. It's right there in the verse, verse 18. He died to bring you safely home to God. He did it to bring you close to God. So brothers and sisters, friends who have gathered here, folks who are watching, can I just ask you today, have you allowed the power of the gospel to transform your life? Not have you joined a church. You, you could have any plethora of labels. Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, Assembly of God, non-denominational, whatever you want. Not that. Not have you been through ritual. We make a lot of rituals, even in the Baptist church. I grew up hearing Catholics are all about rituals. Then I realized, man, we Baptists, we have a lot of rituals. If you don't believe it, try to change some of them. It's not about baptism or catechism or confirmation or first communion or church class or Sunday school. What I'm asking you, have you allowed the power of the gospel to transform you? And I pray that today you would wrestle through that. Now, I want to spend (laughs) the little bit of time I have left in these next couple of verses that one of the most respected theologians I know says may be the most difficult Verses in all the Bible. So there. Verse 19. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. 
Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Two little verses. You kind of wonder, Peter, what in the world were you thinking? Did you know that for the last couple thousand years, there are at least more than 40 explanations of what this means? I'm not going to be able to clarify that completely for you today. There are people a lot more studied than any of us that love Jesus and greatly debate this passage of scripture. But I want to give you four explanations, one of which is kind of where I land and it kind of sums up most of those 40 plus. One is that Peter is talking here about the souls of people that lived in Noah's day. And so really all he's saying is that Christ through Noah preached to those who were imprisoned by their sin. They didn't respond, but they heard the preaching of Noah. And we know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It's a possibility. A little bit of a stretch, I would think. Others would say that it's the souls of people who lived before the flood that Noah preached to. And Christ went back to them. If that's the case, you have to ask, and well, why did he go back to them? Did they get a second chance? That's not really consistent with the message of, of what God's word says. Or did he go back to them just to say, na 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 boo boo. <laughs> Again, not really consistent. A, a third way would be that this is more allegorical, that he's speaking to imprisoned spirits even in the day that Peter was writing. So people like you, some of you in this room who are imprisoned by sin, maybe you've got an addiction, you've got something in your life that is keeping you from walking with God. And, and it's saying that even today, the spirit of God can work through others to preach and, and possible. Where do I land? Well, as you look at this, first you have to ask, where is this saying Jesus went? To, to whom did he speak and, and what did he say? Some take this to believe that Jesus actually went to hell. I don't believe that's the case. Let me tell you a couple of reasons I don't believe that's the case. Number one, nowhere else in the Bible does it imply that Jesus went to hell. Number two, if my Jesus went to hell, guess what? It wouldn't be hell. <laughs> now, number three, hell is a place of permanent torment. Again, if Jesus were there, that would stand in the face of that. So where is this? I believe it's a place called Hades, which is a place of judgment that God is holding demonic spirits in until he casts them, as the book of Revelation says, into that final permanent destructive place called hell. So who is he speaking to? It's those demonic spirits. Remember in the, in the uh, what we know from God's word in the book of Isaiah, but also in Genesis, that in the beginning of creation, uh, there were fallen angels. There were those who left heaven. Uh, they left with the Lucifer, the, the great serpent, the, the liar. And um, those demonic spirits, I, I believe, are in that place called Hades. And one day, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, Jesus will cast them into hell. So what did he go back to do? Here's what I did believe he goes back to do. I believe that it was kind of a, not really nan and a boo-boo, but he was saying this. Hey, just FYI, the battle's over. The victory's been won. Because when did this happen? It was between his death and resurrection. And so he went for the purpose of saying, hey guys, it's done. It's over. Well, hey, again, we could spend a whole seminary semester on that, but here's the question. 
Why does that matter? Why would the preacher not just skip over that today? That's a pretty question because I lost some of you in that three-minute explanation. Here's why. Because everybody you know is going to spend forever somewhere. That's, in my mind, that's what you need to walk away with there. Everybody you know is going to spend forever somewhere. So one more thing. Look at verse uh, 21. And that water, it, talking about the, the flood, is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and power accept his authority. Why does he end with this? He's tying it all together. He's saying, God wants you to live a clean life. He expects that of every Christ follower. God wants you to draw close to him. He expects that of every Christ follower. God wants you to live with a clear conscience. He expects that of every Christ follower. And when you do, the world is going to see it. That's a defense of the gospel. You're being ready to give that reasonable answer. And so, guess what God did? God created a way where the very first thing you do after you follow him can be a testimony of that. And we call that believer's baptism. So uh, I know a lot of us have come from different traditions, but the facts are in the New Testament. It's not even debatable. In the New Testament, Christ followers, after they began a relationship with Christ, were immersed. Because you look at the, the language, they were immersed in the water. Why were they immersed? It was a demonstration that they too had died to an old way of life. They were raised like Jesus was to a new way of living. And they walked forth clean, close, and clear with God. And so Peter's saying, hey, this baptism, it doesn't save you. Sometimes I talk to little children um, and I'll say, hey, what does baptism mean? And they'll say, it washes away my sins. And that's when I know we need to talk a little more. It, it doesn't literally do that, but it's a testimony for everybody to see that the God of the universe has taken you, a sinner, and he's changed you. He's made you new. He's, he's molding you into his image. And why would we do that? <laughs> because we want others to see. See, baptism doesn't clean you, but it is the first step of a Christ follower in living a clean and obedient life. So I would just say, if you're a follower of Christ and you've never experienced believer's baptism, then you're living in disobedience. That, I, I'm not saying that. That's what God's word teaches. And you say, well, one day I'm gonna do it. Here's what I wanna suggest to you today. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna give you a chance to respond. And some of you, I believe God's gonna lead you to take it. Take advantage of this. But before I do that, let me just say this as I wrap this up. God has already given you everything you need to do what he wants you to do. He really has. He's given you everything you need through the power of the gospel. And as a result of that, you have not only the ability, you have his authority. Do you know how I know you have his authority? Does anybody know how I know you have his authority? Because Jesus told us we do. Have you heard of the Great Commission? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. 
says, Jesus in verse 18 says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of, of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you, even to the end. God gives you his authority, and through his presence, he gives you his ability. Through the power of the gospel, Jesus Christ has given you everything you need to live clean and close and clear. Here's the question. What are you waiting on? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.